It is the 200 level, episode 94. Mike Carpenter from the basement on a very warm and muggy Monday. And a big one for Illinois sports, at least Illinois football. We got, I think, 40 athletes coming back into Champaign-Urbana today. And throughout the week, they'll be staggered coming in. Football, men's basketball, plenty of COVID-19 testing. I'll read the statement here in a bit from the athletic department about how this whole thing is going to roll out. But it begins today on Monday, June 8th athletes back on campus. Now, we talked about the ethical concerns of that with Harry Black a couple weeks ago. All that said, the selfish part of me, in the midst of all this craziness going on in the world, I'm thinking, hmm, sports. So we will be getting to plenty of that. And not just that, but also a certain Illinois football player that had a statement yesterday on Twitter that I found particularly powerful. And we'll get to that in a second. But before we do, a reminder, the 200 level is brought to you by DP Doe online at dpdo.com for all the best deals and prices, dpdo.com. Here's the deal. You can get a custom zone with all your favorite toppings or one of their favorites, Maui Wowie, may I recommend, or the buffer zone. You get their famous dipping sauce. It is an amazing treat, super tasty and delivered fresh, hot to your door anywhere in Champaign-Urbana, online at dpdo.com. Also, 4th and Kirby, online at 4thandkirby.com. Use coupon code 200 level or the 200 level, either one works for 10% off your order and all year long 365 days a year you buy two t-shirts you get one free and I can tell you from experience these are high quality t-shirts vintage inspired Illini apparel that looks cool and will keep you cool during these summer months fourthandkirby.com and finally brian is my guy.com you know the domain it's for state farm agent brian hansen online at brianismyguy.com for all your insurance needs so live auto home business renters you name it they at least will be able to get information on it. And not only are they insurance experts, but they have your local interest at heart. We're talking people that are born and raised in Champaign-Urbana. So, hey, East Central Illinois folks, that's the guy you want. Brianismyguy.com. And again, I can speak from experience. Great guy that you can trust. And that's more important than anything when you're talking about insurance. Also, Illini Inquirer online at, well, IlaniInquirer.com And Champagne Showers Podcast Network on Twitter at 217showers and on Facebook at Champagne Showers partners with the 200 level. So you may have noticed the 200 level is a little bit different now, and I think that's just kind of adapting to what's going on. I will be very happy for this to return to a 95%, let's say, if I had to give a number on it, 95% sports-only podcast where we can talk about Illinois football on their march to 6-6, six and six, or Illinois basketball and the triumphant return of Kofi Coburn and the Big Ten freshman of the year, Andre Corbello, in their march to a Sweet 16. Yes. We will be getting back to that. But just with the times and everything going on, it felt like the elephant in the room is simply too large to not talk about. And I do appreciate your patience, I guess, as we talk about things that we have not before. And if I had talked about them before, more in euphemistic language or just kind of briefly touching on them without going a little more in depth on it. I got to review, uh, get these notifications from Apple Podcasts, which were logged in with them. And I got this review from Claude. And Claude, I think this is your name, not just the username here. Claude Roth, maybe? Anywho, uh, Claude says, I was born in Urbana and graduated from Urbana High School in 1992 and the University of Illinois in 1996. I've lived in Minneapolis since 1998, and I started listening to you on Tan Carp Show to catch up on Illini Sports. Most of the time, I can relate with Tay a little more because he's close to my age and we have similar personalities. I want to meet this Claude guy if he's like Lon. We also seem to be a little more optimistic when it comes to Illini Sports, even though we have no reason to be. Lon is optimistic, certainly more than I. 
However, I really appreciate the fact that you've taken the time to address the whole George, George Floyd situation. I live about five blocks from Precinct 3, and I have taught Minneapolis public schools for the last 20 years. Wow. These topics are not easy to talk about, but you do a, did a great job, so keep up the good work. And Claude, I appreciate that because you know reviews can certainly be self-serving. If I read one of them and it's positive, I'm like, yay. If I read a negative one, I actually do get a chuckle. And I there's a couple good one-star reviews on this thing that, like I said before, I bring them, you know, I'll take a negative review, especially as we're in this weird kind of transition, right? If you want to call it that. But that means something coming from a fellow teacher, someone that lives up in Minneapolis. Being here in East Central Illinois as a white 33-year-old, it does seem a little bit presumptuous for me to talk on social issues with any sort of expertise, which I do not have, right? So basically, I'm a layman when it comes to this stuff. But there's enough of a humanistic side to the story that goes beyond politics or even social and racial dynamics. Just from a human perspective, this is something that really resonated with me and I think a lot of people. So Claude, I, I do appreciate that. And what I will try to do when we do broach topics like that is approach it with nuance, make sure that the conversation is a big tent conversation that many people would feel comfortable engaging in. But certainly along the way, there's going to be avenues that we go down that will bring a little discomfort out. I think about how tricky it would have been to navigate this on a daily afternoon show and how Lon and I really use that platform to cut loose, have fun, and not necessarily get bogged down in the larger, weightier issues of the world. And there's a time and a place for that. And I think it is important to still, in the midst of all this, have your distractions. Because if you were to focus on something 24 hours a day and zero in on all the pain and frustration that goes with this, that can almost become overwhelming. So I'm even finding myself throughout the course of you know, day-to-day life and routine having to check out myself because it just simply would not be beneficial to be zeroed in on that all the time. But all that said, it is important. There's a reason that we see this groundswell of activism, and that's what we're seeing starting with this weekend. A few blocks from our house. So we live uh, near the Hessel Park area in Champaign, and that's where the protest in Champaign started, which, by the way, started by an 18-year-old Champaign Central graduate, Naomi Dupree, I believe is her name, and a few other graduates, I think, from Champaign Central. They started this thing, Pain for Peace, and they marched for five hours with the uh, coordination with Champaign Police District, or sorry, Champaign Police Department. I get district in my head from school and park district. And it was an amazing event. Now, Kara and I went up to Michigan to a state park and hung out with her parents for her birthday, which was amazing just to get on the road and do something. And we do regret, I guess, that we missed that one, though we're going to try to be active when there are other events like this, and there certainly will be. But to see the pictures and the videos come in, Kevin Lighty had these drone videos of this demonstration. It was remarkable. And then to see Monticello, 500 people, to see Gibson City, 100 people. You know, my dad grew up in Paxton. My mom grew up in Bonville, though she went to Champaign School. So I have a little bit of, you know, rural history, I guess. I mean, in other words, we would go up to Paxton to visit my grandparents. And I appreciate rural living when we go back to visit Kara's parents in Michigan. Very quiet, peaceful town, Milan, Michigan. And... At the same time, I also understand that there are probably more things that are left unsaid in those communities, and I didn't know how a lot of these communities would react to something like this. So it is heartening to see that even in these rural communities, back to the idea that this goes beyond social, racial, political lines, this is a human story, and it is clearly resonating with a lot more people than any of these stories before. And 
I find it encouraging. I found myself in the last week and a half to really be a lot more pumped up and ready to do something. I found that this would have been on Friday, I think May 29th, May 30th. I was talking to Trevor about this in the segment coming up, that I was despondent. I would say probably the lowest point that I've been in this pandemic. You know, the sort of <laughs> very sad and depressed. And what reason did I personally have to be that, as lucky as I am? Not really anything, but sometimes I think I let everything kind of snowball in terms of external stories and factors. And between the George Floyd situation that was brewing, between the pandemic, between a myriad of other issues going on, it just all hit me on that Friday. And I noticed that the following Monday, I went to the demonstration in Urbana. We marched, very peaceful, had a really good correspondence with a friend of mine that I grew up with, a neighborhood friend who was a police officer in Urbana who said it was just an amazing atmosphere to be a part of. So it's heartening to know that our police officers here in Champaign-Urbana are supportive of this on the whole. And it changed something. It changed my perspective and my overall outlook of things, where all of a sudden I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to do something. So I'll try to do that the best I can. I know that, you know, after a certain point, talking about it is simply not enough and you must act. And maybe down the road, I'll broach some of those things. But what I am super impressed about is that the Illini Athletic Department came out earlier this week with a statement, as did every athletic department. So that in and of itself is not that impressive. You kind of had to, right? If you were any sort of corporation or athletic entity, you had to come out with a statement. Well, they did that, but they followed it up. On Saturday, Josh Whitman, Brad Underwood, Nancy Fay, and that's just to name a few, but those are three big heavy hitters in this athletic department, were all at the protest here in Champaign. They marched. I don't know for the full thing, but they were there for at least a good chunk of it. That was one hell of a statement to be made by, of course, Josh Whitman, who has an entire athletic department with many black athletes, and as the head of it, he... I think felt compelled and probably on a human level felt compelled to do that as well. Nancy Fay, kudos to her as well. But also I was thinking about Brad Underwood in particular. And I want to speak briefly on how my own stereotyping or biases come into play here. Brad Underwood, I believe, grew up in a small town. Was it Kansas that he was born and raised in? And I wouldn't necessarily have predicted Brad Underwood to be the activist type. And really, no offense to Brad, but that goes for a lot of college basketball and college football coaches. They're so zoned in on the coachy coach stuff that why would they get active with this? But for Brad Underwood, and keep in mind, I think the highest paid state employee in Illinois, unless it's Lovey, but I mean, certainly he's right there. He showed up like thousands of others did at this protest in all black. He wasn't really announcing his arrival or anything. And he marched. And I'm thinking as a, an alum, as a fan someone that is really excited about the direction of that program on the court, it makes me feel even better off the court to know that there is a conscience that he has. There is a culture that I think something like that, the culture he's trying to instill, it heartens me to know that the guy that would show up at the protest is the same one that would likely have his players' backs, again, many of whom are black youth. So kudos to him. Kudos to Josh Whitman, to Nancy Fay, to any other DIA person that was there, and for the athletic department as a whole to say we are going to make an actual statement on this, but go beyond that. Go beyond just the Twitter statement, which is very easy to do. And that's convenient. Everyone puts one up. Not a big deal. But hey, look at Josh Whitman. He put up a longer letter. I say longer letter. He tends to do that. Though I can't really be one to talk since I come behind a microphone and just talk for minutes on it, right? So reading his letter, though, it did go beyond just simple 
catchphrases and buzzwords. I believe he feels that. And I think his experience as a, stu- as a student athlete certainly lend more credibility to him speaking out on student athlete issues. But more to the point with this going on right now, I think there is an empathy and an understanding that he is trying to foster within the whole athletic department. So I need to give specific kudos to Josh Whitman at the top, to Brad Underwood as the highest paid state employee in the state of Illinois, just showing up like a regular dude and doing the thing. And that's very cool. I'm very proud of them. I'm very proud of the community. It is very heartening, and I've used that word already a few times, but I think that's applicable to what's going on, to see the connection within Champaign-Urbana. East Central Illinois, it's a very interesting region because of that mix of some urban spots and some rural spots, and I think the term for Champaign-Urbana has been micro-urban. Essentially, you get all the benefits of the big city without all the hassle, and that's why I love living here. But I also love living here because of the variety of perspectives and to see that I know people at this protest and on the march had a variety of different perspectives, and yet they were all there for a common goal. To me, that is just awesome, for lack of a better word. It's something that has really changed my perspective and my outlook from where it was 10 days ago when I was (laughs) despondent and sad. And listen, it's hard not to sometimes when you look at all the negative things going on, but you can look at the looting, of course, as an unfortunate side effect of things like this. But on the whole, what a remarkable couple weeks here in America and something that I will never forget and I hope does have staying power. And I think it does, you know, take this from a 33 year old that didn't live in 1968 or live through many social movements that had a lot of staying power. So I don't really have a lot of ground to stand on historically with that, but doesn't it feel different? Doesn't it feel like this has really caught the attention of people that past stories may not have? And speaking of which, of Illini athletic department, or in this case, an athlete, really making me proud as an alum and a fan. Luke Ford, transferred from Georgia, unfortunately sat out last year after the NCAA kind of screwed him. He had a statement on Twitter, and here's a little bit of context about Luke Ford before that. He has been somewhat outspoken politically, and again, back to how I said, well, Brad Underwood didn't strike me as the activist type. Well, Luke Ford didn't strike me as the activist type for sure, based on some of the tweets that I had seen, which... He probably lines conservative, but he also has a big role on a team with many black athletes that I'm guessing he's not only friendly with, but good friends with from all accounts about Luke Ford as a person. He's a leader on the team. And frankly, I haven't heard anything negative about his character. So yesterday, this would have been Sunday on Twitter. He released about a two minute video and I'll just let Luke speak here because I think that he says more in two minutes as I look here and I'm already 12 minutes into this thing. He says more in two minutes than I think a lot of people have. He gets really right to the core of what this is about. All right. What's going on, everybody? I tried to hop off social media on Monday because I want to start solely focusing on football. But with everything going on in society, I'd be doing a disservice to my God-given platforms if I didn't speak up for what I believe in. And I got back on social media, got back on Twitter and Instagram, and I'm seeing these people out here that are arguing with Black Lives Matter. And for some reason, this is a controversial topic. I just don't understand how you can argue with the statement Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. This is like the bare minimum statement. The only thing below Black Lives Mattering is black people being alive. This is not something we should be arguing about as a society. Black people are fighting for not being treated like second class citizens in our society. 
They want a change in the system. There's not a bill or a law you can pass that'll end racist. Like, I mean, well, if you passed a bill that said if you were racist, you'd be killed, that might work, which I'm not opposed to that. But that's not what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say is, we the people need to treat our neighbors how we want to be treated. Now, it's an old adage, but maybe there was some confusion along the way. That also means treat your black neighbors how you want to be treated. We have to come together. We have to take care of one another. We have to love one another and support this Black Lives Movement and get this momentum going to get the change that we need. So listen, I love you guys. Stay safe out there with COVID, and God bless y'all. Here's a little context with that video, too. And first off, <laughs> there was a line that he had in there where he said, well, you won't be able to end racism. And then he pauses and says, well, I guess if you pass a law saying kill racist, which I wouldn't be opposed to. He says that in jest. And I, I thought it was pretty funny the first time I heard it. There ended up being a Wisconsin writer whose name escapes me, but he retweeted this and said, oh, man, this rhetoric. Now that he's talking about killing racist. And it's like, ah, shut up. Come on. The, the guy's kidding. This is the context of the video if you haven't seen it. Again, Luke Ford had been vocal on Twitter about his political leanings. Uh, in this video, he's got a cowboy hat on. He's got an American flag in the back. He's still Luke Ford. You know, he's still very much the kid that has definitely some Southern DNA in him, right? Even just the way he talks. And yet he's getting just to the core of this, the human story beyond the political and the social, which naturally it's going to get lumped into and often for justifiable reasons. You can't really change the attitudes that people have towards one another without some policy change, without some genuine social change. But from his perspective as someone that's a leader on this football team, that he's taking the lead and saying, this is just as simple for me as treating black people as respectfully as would anybody else, and that he's behind the movement. And if you are one of his teammates, how big does that hit for you? I mean, for me as a fan, as an alum, I'm thinking that's pretty remarkable that he took that step to put that video out there. When I know that there are people that will watch that and maybe kids that he went to high school with or maybe even family members that might be thinking, Luke, come on, what are you doing, man? But he did it. I got to give credit to him for what he said, of course, but also for even challenging my own biases, right? And what I mean by that is the same way that I looked at Brad Underwood and said, I doubt he'd go to protest. I didn't really think that, but I just assumed, right? I just assumed he wouldn't be the type. I also probably assumed that Luke Ford might just kind of stay quiet about it because he didn't know how to broach the subject and how to kind of mesh it with his political leanings. And yet he just went to the core of it. That's a minute, 45 seconds. And he says more than that than I probably even have in these 19. So that's pretty awesome stuff from what, a 19, 20-year-old? This is what's different, that we're seeing our own stereotypes challenged, specifically of people that are in support of this movement. And on Sunday night, to see Mitt Romney, and by all accounts, a good man. I know that there are political things that some could disagree with Mitt Romney, but by all accounts, a very good individual. And he is marching on Sunday night, and I believe the first GOP Senate or congressperson to ever utter the three words together, Black Lives Matter, at least in a positive sense. He says, we are here to march to let people know that Black Lives Matter. I'm paraphrasing, but it's remarkable to see something like that. It has a powerful effect, and it is taking something that was unfortunately a fringe argument into the mainstream and making it palatable for people where 
couple, three years ago, it maybe was not palatable. It was not something that people felt entirely comfortable with. Not that it should be about comfort, not at all, but the bigger the tent, the more opportunity there is for change. And we're seeing that tent continue to grow. Trevor and I talked about this and he used the word trendy. He doesn't necessarily want this to appear like a trendy thing to do because that would maybe take some of the substance away from it. I would agree with that. You know, you don't want people to just do this because it's the cool thing like some Instagram influencers may be doing right now. You don't want that. But for the most part, I think that the people that are on board with this, they are feeling something that they have not felt before. To the point where I'm thinking if you went to any of these protester marches and you ask someone, hey, is this your first march? That a good chunk of people would say yes. They'd never done this before. And they felt compelled to do so. So at the end of the day, I'm as optimistic as ever. I can't, can't believe I'm saying that here in 2020 and what a year it's been. I mean, this is June 8th and it would have been three months ago to the day that we were at State Farm Center to watch Illinois beat Iowa, primed for a run in the NCAA tournament, right? Think of what's happened the last three months. And certainly we're going to look back on this as a very tumultuous year, but call me Pollyanna over here, but I'm overly optimistic about what the end result may be of all this. So I'm feeling good. I hope you're feeling good. And whatever you decide to do, you know, a a topic that Trevor and I get into is this idea of silence being complicit, that if you don't say something that you aren't adding to the discussion, I think people are going to take their own pace on this sort of thing. And I don't think people should be necessarily targeted if they don't say something right away. But I can almost guarantee that everybody is thinking about this and that there are a lot more people that or siding on the idea that, wait a second, something probably does need to be done here. And to me, that is an unbelievable groundswell that we're seeing right before our very eyes that I hope 20, 30 years from now, I could tell a kid of mine or a kid that's in my classroom, man, that 2020, it was a crazy year, but ultimately that, that made us better. I hope it does. All right, a few more things before we get to Trevor Belize. I spoke with him on Sunday. We're sitting here on Monday, and already there's been some news coming out. Major League Baseball, there was a proposal today from the owners, which got, well, will get, I should say, rejected by the players, and I don't know how close they are or are not. It is disheartening in the midst of this positive sea change that we see elsewhere that Major League Baseball is kind of digging their heels in, and we will never know the exact financials of the owners. And I can also understand frustration for the players for not making maybe more concessions when you consider that, no, they are not playing 162 games, so certainly they should not get their full salary. But you also got to consider the health and safety factors that you would be putting all of these players into if they have to play baseball in the midst of a pandemic. So, yeah, I'm sympathetic for the players here, as sympathetic as one can be for guys that make a lot of money. But I also understand how, at the end of the day, this multi-billion dollar industry The way that they're operating right now, it just won't look good. And if they don't play baseball, that will really set the sport back. And if they go with the, I guess, compromise, essentially Major League Baseball implementing a 50-game schedule and then the players have likely filed a grievance, that's going to get messy too. And a 50-game schedule is not really representative of a Major League Baseball season. At that point, it's just a really long playoff session. So listen, I want the Yankees to win World Series 28 in any way necessary, but this is probably not going to feel great, however it ends. And that's unfortunate. And something that, man, if they would have started this process far earlier, it feels like, how are we in early June and they really made no progress on this entire thing? That's disappointing. Elsewhere, locally, I mentioned earlier how athletes are back. They got testing protocols in place, but there's one thing that stands out. 
And I understand privacy laws with health. And we learned that back when I was at Clark Lindsay and we served the old folks there. We served dinner to them, but we had to take this training course on HIPAA, I think, is the whole health privacy thing. And I'm sure that's a factor here for student athletes, but the University of Illinois athletic department said they would not be releasing any information, even if a player were to test positive. Now, on one hand, I'm sure that they would be reporting to the county, so those numbers would still be a part of it. But on the other, that is a total lack of transparency. I don't see how legally they cannot let you know that, yes, someone within the program has tested positive. So we wouldn't even find out about that, at least officially, though I'm sure that through the rumor mill, we'd get an idea rather quickly if someone tested positive for COVID-19. But I thought that the lack of transparency was a little bit interesting because this is still a small enough community. And now there is one exception to this whole thing, the whole state laws about what can be open, what can't be open. And even if they practice extra caution over there with football practices and basketball practices, at the end of the day, these are athletes in confined spaces, sweating, breathing heavily, all of that fun stuff while a pandemic is going on outside. Fortunately, this community, Champaign-Urbana, the test positivity rate is super low. It continues to go down. We have more recovered cases than active cases. These are all amazing positives. But you are bringing student-athletes back from a ton of different places that might have higher incidences of COVID-19. They are going to be tested immediately and then three days later before they can even start working out. So essentially, they're coming back to quarantine. But it's still disappointing to see there won't be some more transparency if somebody gets it. That will be a story, a gift that keeps on giving. COVID-19 throughout this whole football thing, now that student-athletes are back on campus, including Iowa, which, uh-oh. Kirk Ferentz, what is going on up there? Essentially, there was the strength and conditioning coach that, I don't know if it's put on suspended leave or, or whatever. He helped to foster what many former black athletes call a sort of culture that was a little more biased towards whites. One example of that, and you may kind of scoff at this and think, well, what's the big deal? You couldn't wear hoodies in the Iowa football program. Couldn't wear hoodies. Now, as a teacher at Champaign, I know that hoodies are worn by really everyone, so it's not necessarily a strictly racial thing, but certainly within the black community, hoodies are a very popular form of clothing, probably more so than the white community. And it just seems like an unnecessary rule to put in place unless you're trying to project a... Pleasantville kind of image, right? And for anyone that's been to Iowa City, come on. I mean, it is a fairly white-bred campus. Not saying the Champaign-Urbana doesn't have its own racial issues, but it's Iowa. Let's call it what it is. It's Iowa. Then you find out that Kirk Ferentz saying all the right things. Listen, if there's a culture problem, we're going to learn from it. And I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to try to speculate how genuine he is being when he says that. I don't know the guy. I don't necessarily even think he's a bad guy, but he is an old school guy. And sometimes there were things that were in place that even if he didn't know about it, might have been fostering a little bit of inequity. I think some examples have been that seven of the last 10 captains on the team have been white, or at least the vast majority of them have been white. Usually the linemen and things. Again, it's Iowa. They're basically Wisconsin South when it comes to the levels of whiteness on that team. But this was particularly interesting. They had a Twitter ban, and then I think it was just yesterday or today, they said, oh, you guys can tweet, but it's one pre-approved tweet per month, which is a bit extreme, obviously. And I understand that how a college coach would want to make sure that they have things under control and that they don't have these rogue agents going out there and saying things that might be super controversial or get the program in hot water. But let's be real. This is not the time to be instituting 
a Twitter ban or I guess limiting a player or anybody to one pre-approved tweet per month. This is not the time for that. This leads me to think that, man, college football, pro football, this issue is not going to go away. And there are going to be conversations. There's going to be players tweeting out about it. There's going to be more people kneeling than ever during the national anthem. This thing is not going to get swept under the rug. Pandora's box, it's open now. It was cracked open a little bit in 2016, 2017 with Kaepernick, but then kind of shut back with the faux outrage about kneeling during the anthem. Not because of the anthem or not kneeling against the anthem, but keep in mind kneeling during it. Not kneeling on the flag, but kneeling during the anthem where a gigantic American flag happens to be draped across the field. You're going to see more of that. You're going to see more people speaking out. So for Iowa to do that is just sort of, you know, it's clueless. It's clueless. We'll see what happens up there. It's not going to be anything that gets Kirk Ferentz fired. The strength and conditioning coach probably will not be returning as more and more players speak out. And we can argue about the merits of cancel culture and all that, which Trevor and I briefly get into during this conversation. But at the end of the day, come on, let's just keep it simple. Illinois fans, we know it. Iowa, Wisconsin, those are white bread football programs right there. And again, even if the intentions aren't necessarily bad to have a policy in place that Iowa football players cannot wear hoodies or have earrings or necklaces. I think those are the other two things. Well, how many white guys do you see wearing earrings and necklaces? That is specifically targeting some of your black athletes. And to me, well-intentioned or not, Kirk, that's not cool. So hopefully he does learn and hopefully they get better as a program. But honestly, if they don't, Iowa sucks and I could do without them, quite frankly. All right, let's get to a conversation with Trevor Valise. We had this on Sunday. Not a lot of new developments over the last 24 hours that we might have missed in this conversation. And if anything, it was more to do with the week that was and what a remarkable week we had last week. So without further ado, it is Trevor Valise on the 200 level. Trevor, sometimes we come on the podcast and there's just not a lot to talk about. Just not a lot. And uh, <laughs> it's funny because on Friday I actually went out to a band practice and, well, not a band practice, but I showed them all the tracks I've been working on and now we have a plan to record the album with the rest of the guys. And we're sitting out there and we realized that the last time I had seen those guys was March 8th. So in these three months, I don't think in my life, and this isn't hyperbole, that so much history has been packed into a three-month period, not just in my life, but you could ask my parents, you could ask a 95-year-old, and I almost feel like they'd say the same exact thing. Well, it's weird because when you're living in the moment of it, you don't necessarily think of it in that way. Like, like As I'm experiencing this day-to-day, I'm not thinking this is the craziest period in U.S. history. But in a way, it's going to be easier in hindsight, I guess is what I mean, to look back and go, what the hell happened those four months? But when you're in the middle of it, especially with COVID already being something where I'm just trying to take things day by day, I can't possibly, you know, I've never, I've never been a proponent of playing the what if game or the I should be doing blank game because you just, you, you screw yourself up if you keep going, well, I should be in Michigan right now. I should be on vacation right now. I should be in Dave Matthews concert right now. Because if you do that, you're just going to drive yourself nuts. But it's something about the, the day-to-day grind, I guess you'd call it, of, sort of just keeping your head down, going to work, going nowhere else, coming back home has has not allowed me to look at it in as much of a macro sense as I'm allowed to look at it now with all this happening. And yeah, you're right. I mean, I'm only 22, so I can't really speak to it, but I, and this has certainly been the craziest four months of my life. 
Well, and, and to your point, speaking of the Dave Matthews concert, there was <laughs> a friend sent me a message on Friday and he said, man, two weeks from now, we would have been heading over to Indy for two nights of Dave. I said, stop. I don't want to hear see, that. I can't, I, I can't do that. Some people are okay <laughs> playing that game of like, right now, Illinois would be in the final four. I don't yeah. stop. I don't want to hear it. Yeah, I don't either. And, you know, to that point of the day-to-day sort of thing, it I think it does speak to humans are remarkably resilient. And it's not as if, especially in America, um, and there are hardships to be found. There, there are plenty of those. But in terms of the effect this pandemic has had on day-to-day life, um, people seem to be taking it in stride as a whole. And whether that be a number that I saw where a recent poll today, 70% of people say they always wear their mask going into stores. Now, maybe I wish that was 99%, but it's not ever going to be that way. So really, I try to look at that optimistically and think we've kind of rolled with the punches. We do seem to be, in terms of the pandemic, on a... um, on the uptick in terms of, you know, the comfort for now, for now you're right. Um, but yeah, it's weird because in a weird way, Trevor, I feel like last week did more. It, it would have been Friday, May 29th or 30th. One of the two. I was despondent. I think I hit rock bottom in terms of the world sucks. People suck. I'm depressed. <laughs> and See, then that's so weird because it was almost the exact same for me, but go ahead. Well, and then Monday, that Monday where there were the protests in town and I started just by being there and around people, all of them masked and I got tested and I was negative. Yay. So I'm good. Um, it, it was invigorating. Like I actually feel alive in a way that I did not feel on Friday, May 29th or whatever that day was. And I think a huge part of that was simply being around other people, not we're not talking to them or not being within six feet when I could help it, but just seeing, oh yeah, there's people and people are doing things. They still yeah. are. No, yeah, I mean, I, it absolutely makes sense. I'm not a, a psychologist at all, but I, I have been wondering like how much of, and look, I'm not saying there wouldn't be riots if COVID didn't exist. I know that this is still something that would happen either way, but it seems like, I don't know, a certain amount of the, the, um, I don't know what kind of mindset you call it, but the group not calling it mob mentality is not correct. Cause I'm talking about the peaceful protest, but just the, the willingness to be in such a large uh, quantity of people and the desperacy with which people have to do that. Obviously I'm not implicating that it doesn't have anything to do with what happened and what is happening with the, with the social you know injustice in the world, but it does feel like at least 5% of me wants to go, okay, how much of this is people wanting to get the hell out <laughs> having sat in their house for three and a half months, you know? Yeah. Well, I think it's a confluence of factors. So you got the social ju- justice part of it, certainly. And then you also have the fact that it's summer unemployment is at an all time high. Why not? I think there's an element of why not. And there's an element of effort. Let's, let's right. actually do this thing. And uh, what I did see, again, my personal experience last Monday, what we saw Saturday, which we're going to get to in a second here in town and the involvement of the Illini Athletic Department over there, um, what we're seeing, Monticello, Monticello, 500 yeah. people. God knows I've had my preconceptions about that town and stories I've heard. And yet 500 people, Gibson City, over 100 people. So uh, to me, it is, people could say it's political or it's social. I think it's more like something you could study in a humanities course just on the level of, hey, you know, people can actually find common ground and we're more to the point, I guess, if we're going the humanities kind of aspect of it, that people need people. 
that we need right. each other more than we ever could have anticipated going into this pandemic. And this is just a natural reaction to it. Like, screw this. I need to be around others and actually feel that communal thing, just like we used to do with sporting events and going to concerts. This is the one thing people are doing, I think, in, in place of a lot of that. Well, I was just going to say that feeling you described of, of feeling alive is exactly how I would describe, you know, if I'm having a bad week at work and there's an Illini game on a Thursday night and I get in there and, you know, the crowd is hype. I'm thinking, yeah, you know, like, you know, that for whatever reason, that, you know, uh, combination of 14,000 people clapping at once makes me feel alive, whether it's a concert, a game, whatever. So, you know, and to your point, I mean, I think I saw on Twitter some, I, I forget the name of the town, but it was going around some little town in Texas that is like, the most, you know, 300 people, they're all white. They've got Confederate flags flying or something. And they had like 500 people show up for a protest. Stuff like that makes me feel like, and this is just corny and waxing poetic, but it feels like this is is different to me. Does it not? It it does. But again, this is where it gets tricky, right? It feels like it's different because I do remember back, I think it was 2014 when the Michael Ferguson thing happened. I remembered, and by the way, a a correction, which I mistakenly for whatever reason Kawan Carrington was the champagne youth got shot back in 2009 I said Kwame Harrington which is like some weird mix of Kwame (laughs) Brown and Sean Harrington regardless um no but I remember the Michael Brown stuff in 2014 um I remember, and I know it's not quite the same realm, but when you had Charlottesville back in 2017 and outcries and people taking to the streets, but not to this level where I bet if you were to pull people that were like at Hessel Park yesterday and did the march or people that were there Monday in Urbana or let alone Monticello yesterday with 500 people. If you were to pull people, how many of you is this your first demonstration? I'm thinking a ton. I really do think that there was a straw that broke the camel's back when you mix the pandemic, when you mix long seated social stuff. And when you also add in the fact, let's call the elephant in the room what it is, the Trump factor where things are just everyone's agitated and for good reason well, they feel like they feel like they're spiraling even more at this point right i mean i'm no <laughs> i've never been on the trump side of things and you know that so i'm not you know i'm biased obviously but it feels like especially after this past week that i mean disapproval has never been higher and 80 percent today there was a poll from nbc wall street journal 80 percent of people think that the country is out of control which is a very general question, and what does that mean out of control? But there is that right. sense that there is this instability. And when you say 80% of people, I mean, that that goes well beyond any sort of partisan divide. It is just a simple statement of, uh, okay, this is, to your point, this is different. Because I don't think people would have been saying that at any other point in the last 20 years for sure, and probably you would have to go back to 1968. And I would doubt even then that 80% of people would have said we're out of control. In fact, it was probably the majority said they were in control and they weren't sympathizing so much with demonstrations. Yeah. And this is going to be an awful metaphor and I'm not trying to sound like I'm comparing what's happening to sports in any way, but it sort of feels like with protests or incidents that happened earlier in this decade, I I, I don't know if I want to say, I'll just, it feels like a John Gross team in the sense that like, (laughs) Oh no. Just hang with, Hang with me. Like, oh boy. Like going into a season with Tracy Abrams, Ravante, and Malcolm, you're thinking, like, okay, like, yeah. I mean, you're not feeling outwardly negative, but you're thinking, like, okay, maybe they can make a tournament. Maybe we got something here. Okay. But then, like, now this season, it was so clearly, like, just, just blown away better in terms of your mentality during the season of how confident you felt in what was going on that you look back at the other thing and you're like, oh man, that was nothing. 
And so, like, I see what's happening here, and then I look back to, you know, let's say Ferguson, Missouri or whatever, and it's like, oh, that wasn't even – I mean, at the time, you thought in that bubble because you hadn't seen anything else. Like, wow, this is a big protest. It's happening in one town. Now it's happening in literally every town. You're like, like that wasn't even anything compared to what's happening now. Yeah, I would agree with that totally. And it will be something that, I mean, the timing, back to that. Here we are on June 7th when we're recording this, and I'm thinking, I don't see this just kind of shutting down by the end of June. And you'll see, I think, pockets, and if you were to chart it in terms of demonstrations and how many people are getting on the streets, you know, there will be ebbs and flows. I mean, Tuesdays are probably not going to be as good a protesting day as a Saturday. But I I think I was even thinking, okay, the 4th of July, there's going to be a bunch of stuff. There just is, because guess what? Everything else got canceled. So what are you going to do on the 4th of July? Well, there's probably going to be demonstrations. So this is something that won't go anywhere. And uh, what I was encouraged by with last week, we see all these organizations and groups, and then especially in the sports world, teams release their statement everyone had to release a statement and a lot of them were kind of copy copy and paste and you know the yeah the cubs for example was you know Ah, shove it i just did i didn't even read that don't bother uh but then actually (laughs) it was interesting because george mccaskey of all people the mccaskeys the bears Mm -hmm. uh he had a what, what seemed like a far more genuine kind of reaction to it so then of course you have josh whitman uh, right of oh, <laughs> no, no offense to Josh. Uh, it was a longer letter. Let's call it that. But again, yeah, it was, it was long. I, I don't doubt its sincerity, and that was further uh, exemplified yesterday when he, Brad Underwood, Nancy Fay, other coaches, other staff from the DIA, they were they were actually at this thing. They marched, and I find that to be one hell of a next step beyond just putting the statement on Twitter and then just kind of hanging out at home, which they could have easily yeah, done. I, no, I, I agree. I think. I think any amount of, of, of action is admirable in terms of you could just do the notes paragraph, copy paste with every single, I mean, let's just call it what it is, what every single middle-aged white coach in the country is. I, I'm just tuning out at this point with those. I mean, Pat Narduzzi makes a statement. I don't care. You know, every white, I mean, I know, I know he has to, but it's just a copy paste of what yeah. Mark Turgeon is saying. And it's a copy paste of what Mick Cronin is saying. I mean, it's just all the same thing. But to see them out there, I didn't even realize this until you texted me and then I saw the pictures of it. I mean, I don't want to go so far as to say that's that's a powerful image, but it kind of did strike me that way. Yeah, I thought it was powerful. When I when I saw first an image from Illinois Athletics and it said our support staff came out, they didn't single anybody out in that first picture. And, and then I look closer, I'm like, wait a second. Oh, my God, that's Brad Underwood and his wife. And then uh, there was a tall guy, which... And he had a hat on, but a tall, very well-built guy. And I'm like, okay, well, that has to be Whitman. I zoomed in. Yes, it was Whitman. Eventually, Underwood and Whitman and Nancy Faye all put out their own individual tweets acknowledging that they were there. And I think that's fine because there is this tricky thing. On Monday, for example, I put videos up from the protest, but I didn't want to explicitly say in some sort of uh, virtue signaling way, hey, guys, I, uh, see, I, I was protesting. You know, I didn't, self-serving. You're yeah. Right. You don't I, want to come off self-serving. Yeah, yeah, I didn't want to do that. So um, – But I also, when I saw that yesterday, I thought, you know, in the positions that they're in, I don't deem it as some sort of virtue signaling thing. In fact, when Brad Underwood, a guy making three and a half mil or whatever it is per year, and is, I mean, let's be real too, in terms of image amongst the recruits that he's visiting, are you telling me that a 17-year-old black kid that he may be recruiting doesn't appreciate the fact that instead of just putting a statement on Twitter, he actually went out and did something. I mean, to me, oh, yeah. that's where the powerful thing comes in beyond 
getting back to the sports conversation, certainly it's powerful socially, but even within the sports world, that's saying, damn, he actually, he left the house, he got dressed up in all black, and he decided, I'm going to march with citizens for a cause that I think is important. That's pretty cool. That's huge. I mean, you have Lovey come out on Friday and say what he did, and I thought, you know, you had good thoughts on it. I thought it was really well articulated. I almost wish he'd talk about this more because he's obviously one of the forefront people in terms of, you know, minority coaches who have been, I mean, he was in that Super Bowl with Tony Dungy where the first African-American coach is going to win either way. And so I thought his statements were great. And obviously I'm not trying to turn this into, I'm not trying to spin this into a recruiting angle, but to your point, when your football coach has quite possibly the most socially diverse staff and some of the most experienced with minorities in the country, and then the rest of your coaches go out and physically march in all black for five hours. I mean, they can't do anything but help your PR. And I'm not suggesting they were doing it for PR reasons. Yeah, yeah, I get it. It doesn't doesn't help. It doesn't hurt, though, right? No, it doesn't. I I think it just, again, adds credibility. And it also, to this athletic program, which, let's be real, you know, there's issues, uh, specifically revenue sports, and also just kind of a broader issue that I have with uh, what Stephen Bartle once kind of dubbed the University of East Central Illinois, that we kind of run in, in danger of looking that way, the way that we market Illinois athletics and, and the lack of success, of course. But when I think about Whitman and what he is good at, it is crafting a message and staying relatively consistent with it. And also to the point of I mean, I remember when Lovey Smith got hired and Lon and I were doing that Saturday show and we just called it what it was. We said, listen, it's it doesn't hurt that this is the first black coach in Illinois football history like that. That does mean something. And it's okay to say that. Uh, Well, Josh Whitman is the guy that hired the first black coach in Illinois history. I think he acknowledged that in his letter, uh, as he should, because whether it's just symbolic or not, it, it does have an impact. And it does normalize something that was not normal before, which is hiring a black head coach, for example. This is normalizing, Trevor, that an athletic director of a Big Ten university is going to a Black Lives Matter protest. And keep in mind the stigma or stigmas that have been associated with that group for the last few years. And now this is mainstream. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I... I... You know, I, I hesitate to call it, you know, like lucky that Illinois hired Lovey because this happened when you have your first minority coach. Obviously, I'm not suggesting that Whitman hired him for any type of reason. Like, well, I don't care about his football acumen, but, you know, he's black, so I'm going to hire him. Right. Of course not. But but it, again, it, it falls. I, I file it under the category of it can't hurt when <clears throat> you've got your coach on NBC with like possibly the best announcer in the country right now. And Mike Tirico talking for 12 minutes about this. And again, to your point of not only saying it, but backing it up, whether it's marching in the protest or whatever, you know, he makes a statement and then he says, I've got seven black coaches on my staff. I just hired a female. And again, I'm not saying that he's doing that just to say that, but it, again, it, it, it doesn't hurt that not only is he saying this, but that he's already backed it up with, with, with making the actual moves that some coaches in the country, I mean, I don't know how diverse most coaching staffs in college football are, but I can guarantee freaking to you it's not seven out of ten or black. No, no, I, that that is a rare thing. I'm sure we'd have to, we'd have to look it up to see what numbers exactly, but that I would guess that is a rare thing, especially you know the further south you get, and you could look at contrast Lovey's statements, which were fairly direct to uh, Adabo 
Uh, is it Sweeney or Sweeney? I always mix that up. Sweeney. Yeah, yeah. Sweeney. From Clemson, who had this five-minute response that just kind of circled around aimlessly without saying anything. Uh, or, more to the point, a direct quote like you had from Vic Fangio. And, again, Vic's an older guy, been in the league for a while. I think he's trying to say, I want to spread a message of unity. Our, our locker room I don't know is where that. I don't know where that came from. I, but, exactly. Because at the end of the day, if you didn't believe it in 2017, I, in terms of Colin Kaepernick was blackballed because he protested on the sideline. Okay, it's as simple as that. If you didn't believe it then, it does seem like if you were to pull the general public now, they would acknowledge that, yes, that was a total blackball by the NFL, and that would go right back to this idea that, well, wait a second, Vic. I mean, even if there's not rampant every day, every second racism in the NFL – Clearly, it exists because a guy that took his team to the Super Bowl lost his job within two years because he spoke out on it. And uh, I just don't. Go ahead. No, no, no. That was it. That was all I had right there, actually. Well, I just don't understand. I mean, (laughs) regardless of whether or not you believe it or like throw out the content of his message completely. I just don't understand how you can watch what's happened this week and go, you know, I think the best thing to say right now is that racism doesn't exist. Well, I I, I don't understand how (laughs) even if you believe that. How you can think that that is the message. And he comes out the next day and apologizes and whatever. I am personally of the belief that if you say something that strongly in public, and then, of course, you receive absurd backlash and come back the next day and apologize, say you didn't mean it. I don't buy that one bit. I think you mean whatever you say. No, I'm not saying everything we say on here is, you know, 100% what we mean. And I never say something I don't mean. But I, I don't know. I, I, I am very cynical of the people who come out and make a very strong five minute video, receive backlash for said video. And then two hours later, post a long notes paragraph saying, well, I didn't really mean any of that. Let's talk about that because Drew Brees was the big story last week in the NFL, more so than Roger Goodell, who yesterday did come out and this would be Saturday. So I'm kind of post-dating this podcast, but Saturday Roger Goodell comes out and says the NFL, they basically straight up apologized. Are bad. We blew it. Now, he did not, I don't believe, mention Kaepernick specifically, which that nope, is... didn't say his name. That needs to be mentioned. And, uh, boy, t- I tell you what, when we look back on all this, Kaepernick, that's a figure that will be... Oh, God, I'm trying to think. You know the image of the three uh, or two black runners with their fist up yeah. at the Olympic Games. I'm trying to think of that image of Kaepernick is going to have a similar kind of cultural cachet, you know, 20, 30 years from now. But Drew Brees comes out. He says initially in an interview, I don't know if it was radio or TV, but he says that, you know, I've never agreed with kneeling during the anthem. My grandfather's fought in the war and it disrespects the flag. And he got a lot of crap for it. Stupid in and of itself, but continue first. Well, and, and let's just get this out there because I do remember kind of dancing around it back in 27. Was it 2017 when all this went down? Um, Either 16 or 17. And dancing around it, using euphemistic language and being trying to be non-confrontational because I knew that the text line would blow up. And it would blow up even if I just said something fairly innocuous. That didn't matter. But where I just said, listen, it's his right to protest. That's it, period. It's his right to peacefully protest. So you, you can question the method, but at the same time, you can't question his ability to do it. I would basically stop there. Now in 2020, let me get it out there just for a clarification. He had every right to do it peacefully, of course. But secondly, this sort of pearl clutching that we do over the flag 
in my mind, kind of does a disservice to this whole idea that, well, veterans fought for your ability to stand during a national anthem. No, veterans fought for your ability to actually represent yourself however you want to or speak out however you want to, which I think is exactly what he was doing. And not just that, but also with the advice from Nate Boyer, who was a veteran, and said, if you want to do this respectfully, I would recommend that you kneel during the anthem. And instead, people turn this into some sort of protest against a song and a flag, which it is not. Yeah, Bill, I think his name is Bill Burr, the comedian, had a good little stand-up bit that was going around from a few years ago that I saw, where essentially he says, the point of the clip was you aren't listening to, to what Kaepernick is actually trying to say. And, I mean, he, he makes it humorous where he says, you know, Okay, Collins com- comes out and says, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm not in support of police brutality. I'm kneeling because of police brutality. I am against police brutality. And as he's saying that, he interrupts himself and yells, my grandpa died in Iraq. You know, and it's just like, <laughs> no, like that's not the, and he, and he keeps doing it over and over again. My, my dad was a firefighter and saw 9-11 on TV. Blah, blah. Like, no, that's not, that's not what we're talking about here. Like, these are two entirely, I just, I really, it frustrates me the argument of, Drew Brees is sickened by Colin Kaepernick kneeling because his grandfather fought in World War II. Well, that's great, Drew. But what the hell does that have to do with police brutality? Not a thing. And and what it does is muddy the waters. Now, there was one conversation I do remember having with some family friends, and they mentioned that, you know, they— they would respect Kaepernick more uh, or his stance, but there there was one time he wore socks with cops as pigs or something. That was bad. Right. So I would say and I said, hey, you know, and I did not hear about that story. I said, if that is true, then that is uh, probably not the right course of action, to say the least. And if anything, that's just muddying the waters of what he's trying to say. But how but nonetheless, nonetheless, there's never been any sort of protesting or any movement that has not been without fault. So, for example, people could pick out a sign at any of these protests and say, see, you know, right. um, and I don't even know what that sign would say. Uh, but let's just take an example. Um, there's some stuff going on. Defund the police. Right. That's a big one going on right now. And that would actually lead to a g- general discussion about, well, what completely defund the police? I don't think that's what everybody's talking about or just kind of uh, divest from the police forces. But because that is such a hot button sign that will get interpreted by some as this sort of, uh, well, this movement is a mess and they don't know what they're talking about. When in actuality, every movement is going to have certain things that do not all converge into one neat little box, right? Or one perfect little lane for people to digest. Um, Sure. And that's why I think that with the Kaepernick thing, in hindsight, certainly, you know, Nike decides, and this this seemed very calculated when they did it, so while I appreciated the sentiment, it seemed a very commercial move on their part when they had the ad with Kaepernick. But if you think about it, that coupled with what's going on now is, again, making a protest that he was doing that was extremely controversial and turning it into a more mainstream idea that if you do say it or you do agree with him, you are not necessarily accosted uh, immediately for believing that sort of thing. So to me, that is a sign of progress that this kind of discussion is not always being met now with rabble, 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 you know, that there's actually more dialogue than certainly back in 2017. Yeah, I just it frustrates me to use the and I'm not trying to disrespect anybody's grandfather who fought in a war, but it's like using the military service as a cloak for your real opinion on this that has nothing to do with that frustrates me. Like it, you're, you're, you're citing something on your 
your anti-police brutality resume or whatever that really shouldn't even be on there. Like you're, regardless of what your grandfather did or didn't do in World War II has nothing to do with, uh, you know, a cop sitting on someone's knee for 10 minutes. I just, I don't understand the correlation between anyone saying, you know, well, if you disrespect, it's not about disrespecting the flag. It's just that's how he chose to protest. I don't know how else to say it. And this is where it gets tricky because for a movement like this to actually have legs, it needs to be a big tent and you need to bring as many people as you want to in it. And what we saw with the Drew Brees thing, of course, his argument, I agree, it was just silly. It was sophomoric. And it's like, Drew, be, be better than that. There's not a lot of nuance when he just reverts back to, well, my grandpappy's fought in the war. Great. A lot of people's grandpappy's fought in the war. Right. But he apologizes the next day. I'm not going to try and speculate how genuine one apology is over another, but overall, the guy's track record, and especially in terms of being a charitable person in New Orleans, which is a predominantly black community, I'm not going to turn Drew Brees into a bad guy. He might have said a silly thing, but he apologized for it, and in likely a very genuine fashion. And I... I don't want this to turn into a purity test sort of thing where a mistake that is said all of a sudden completely, boom, you're banished. You're done. A, can- a cancel session. Yeah. A cancel session because, you know, there's speculation that he was likely the front runner to become a, you know, broadcaster and a major one probably immediately after he retires and that networks may be less likely to do so. I don't know if that's ultimately going to be the case or not. But I wouldn't necessarily want to see that for someone that said, hey, my bad, after reflecting and talking to teammates, he talked to teammates, he said, and I think his own teammates came out in support of him. It's like, okay, that I think we can forgive him for that. I think. Right. No, I'm with you. I mean, obviously the statement was, that statement falls under the same category as what I was saying of, it's just not necessary. I mean, whether or not that's Vangio's opinion or Breeze's opinion, I just don't understand why in this climate, right now you decide to come out and say that you know even if it is your opinion just don't say that because it just doesn't help anything and it inflames the situation but i mean to your point i think i saw he he donated five million dollars last year to disadvantaged youth in new orleans which is primarily black he helped a lot with katrina i mean all that stuff he has a track record of being a good guy it's not like this is like the aubrey huff of the nfl and you've known for years that this guy is just a you know what hole and, and and he's just a terrible person <laughs> right and I, i'm i'm personally i am very against the cancel culture overall unless it's something heinous like obviously if you're you know like a matt lauer or somebody yeah clearly he needs to just be gone but you know i, I think it's um what was it the bill's backup quarterback jake from Fromm. from georgia right his ex-girlfriend from six years ago tweets out a screenshot of him sarcastically saying once in a conversation the phrase elite white people. And if you read the text, he's clearly joking about it. And even if he wasn't, though, my point is like, really, we're going to and they haven't released him or anything. But really, we're going to call for the the bills to release from and have him never be in the NFL again, because six years ago to his girlfriend, he sarcastically used the phrase elite white people. Like we're taking this too far if we're doing that. Yeah, and you mentioned Pat Narduzzi earlier as a sort of, uh, who cares? To me, Jake Fromm, unless he said something really heinous or controversial, I, whatever. You know, so right. <laughs> uh, Roger Goodell was the other one, though, and he comes out and, as you said, apologizes without mentioning Colin Kaepernick, which, okay, hey, an apology is an apology. It's not hey, meaningless. We'll take it, you know, I mean, we'll take it. And this is where he, I'll give him credit in this regard. 
he, they released the statement in the NFL, and it might have even had Roger Goodell's signature on it. And we all laugh at it because we know it's just, it means nothing, right? It doesn't after what happened back in 2017. And I keep saying 2017. I hope that's the year because otherwise, let's <laughs> <laughs> well, just, yeah, it's 2017. And if it wasn't, who cares? But okay. I'm thinking, okay, the NFL, out of all the different pro sports leagues, they are the ones that have a bit of a reckoning here. And it will be very interesting to me when we see games start again in preseason, if it starts in August, maybe, if a full season is underway, likely without fans in the stadiums. You thought that there were a lot of guys kneeling back in the last few years in the NFL. I get the sense, Trevor, that this is going to become commonplace, and not just in the NFL, but actually in college football as well. I think that this is going to be a very unified thing with a lot of teams and the coaches that try to either keep the guys in the locker room or find some sort of diversionary tactic, they're going to be put on blast for it. And that's just a prediction, not necessarily commentary on it, but that's something that I could see if there are games that this is going to be sort of a mass movement from these players in the sidelines. No, I'm with you. I think it's almost in the opposite direction to the point where there's going to be more story. I mean, a few years ago, the stories were, you know, random Colts player so-and-so spotted kneeling. Now I feel like almost the story is going to be, take a look at the one guy on the Colts sideline who wasn't yeah. kneeling. Yeah, you might be right. Because I, I just think this is such a, and I, I don't want to call it a trendy thing because it's more than that. But but the trend now is, you know, your silence is deafening. And if you, even even if you remain neutral on this issue, that's bad. So I think in, in a team setting, and I can't speak to this because I'm not on a team, but in a team setting, if 70 of your 80 teammates are, you know, very emotionally invested in doing this, even just out of sympathy for them, would you not kneel with them? I would. Well, that will be something, right? And back to this idea of cancel culture or neutrality. This is something I was wrestling with, and I asked John Paul about it, the difference between objectivity and neutrality, and that there are certain things I look at, and they could say, Carp, that's just your opinion, but I'm like, no, no, objectively, it's true. I, I, come on, open your eyes. It's right there. The grass is green. Sky's blue. Trump sucks as a person. These are, you know, and again, people would say, well, that's an opinion. That's that's not objective. Well, it, it's not, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. I agree. Uh, neutrality is, I think, trying to kind of have your foot on both sides of the fence and just it, to me it's convenient right but what i did wrestle with was this idea of silence is complicity and i understand why people would be uncomfortable to say something about it this is this is work I struggle with it too though yeah this work gets tricky trevor because on one hand there are people that i've seen not say a damn thing and i'm thinking okay uh, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole of speculating what they may or may not actually think about this. Like, oh, please don't let that person actually be a racist. But that is very presumptive of me. And I that probably is not a role that I or really anybody else should play. Yet, if you are silent, as we've seen just in the course of American history, silence is essentially an acknowledgement that status quo is okay. So this is more than ever the idea of silence being complicit is something that I've really been wrestling with, and I'm beginning to err more on the side of just say something. I mean, even just an acknowledgement like, yeah, there's some bad stuff going on. I support the black community. And even if that might um, seem like it goes short in the eyes of some, it's still something. Yeah, I mean, my my, I'm not you know tweeting a bunch about this or something, but my message is simply like, I get it. 
And I know that's a, it's a really simplified version of the message, but you know, all I'm trying to say is I see you, I hear you, I'm with you, I get it. And I don't think that's hard for anyone to say that. Now, there might be certain, you know, specific reasons why you can or can't say that. I mean, I happen to know a friend who is currently in the police academy training to be a cop. She can't come out and say things one, one side or the other, regardless of whether or not she's totally on the side of the people who are protesting, because it's just not in her interest. She's not even allowed to, as, as, as a public figure, to comment one side or the other. So I know that there's certain things that probably preclude you from doing that. But to your point, I mean, I don't think it's hard to say just what I said, you know, is I see you, I hear you, I get it. I mean, that's not hard to do. Now, personally, I struggle a little bit because as, you know, I mean, just what it is, as a middle-class white guy, I'm kind of like, what do you want me to do here? I'm totally willing to help, and I want to do whatever I can. But you see on Twitter, you know, both sides where, you know, go support your local black restaurants. Okay, great. Sounds good to me. And then someone else comes out and says, well, that's disingenuous if, if, you're, if you're just doing that just to support <laughs> Right, right. Yeah. You know, you, if you're not actually patronizing that black restaurant before this week, then don't, don't give us your business now. We don't want it. So it's like, okay, well, like what, help me, help me with what I'm supposed to do here to help out. To that point, I, I mentioned purity test earlier, the sort of sometimes unspoken, but sometimes spoken thing where it's like, well, this action is genuine. Oh, this action don't. And I even, when I was talking to Antonio Adams, an old high school classmate of mine last week on the podcast, now a sergeant down in Atlanta, I said something along the lines of, as a teacher, I don't want to be patronizing. Like, hey, kids, I heard the new Drake record. And then they're like, oh, shut right. up, Mr. Carpenter. So I don't, right? I stopped short of that. Um, and like the sense, black square thing. Yeah, right? And... And to what's going on right now, trying not to be like, hey, guys, I know I've been totally inactive and haven't said a damn thing about it for 33 years, but how can I help? There is this sense of, uh, is it okay for me to get on board? Like, I, I don't want you guys to think I'm like, not opportunistic, but a bandwagon jumper, essentially. And you mentioned the right. word, you mentioned the word trend. And I think that is a way that it may be interpreted by some. And that, I think, unfortunately, might be something that chips away at the credibility of what's going on here. And that, not saying that you were you know, asserting anything there. No, no, I got you. But I, I do see that being something where people could say, oh, look at, especially white people, they're speaking out on it. Ah, oh, look at these white people. It's just the current trend. And certainly you'll see like a Instagram thing from Kylie Jenner. And it's like, ah, eh, shut up. Uh, you see influencers doing stupid crap in Los Angeles pretending that they actually care about it. But for the most part, I think the intentions are good. And more than ever, I've always said something, I've always believed at least that even if the execution is imperfect, intentions are important to consider. So I really do think that if, as long as you start with good intentions, I don't know how hard people are going to police the um, how genuine your actions may or may not be. As long as, long as you start from a place of good faith and good intentions. Sure. Yeah. But, but uh, at the same time, I, I'm kind of with you on the idea that like, like, you know, full transparency last week, I went with a coworker to a black restaurant. I'd never been before to get takeout on Friday. Mm -hmm. Cause I just thought, you know, I, I, that's what people were saying to do. So I did. But then I'm thinking like, okay, so I'm not going to post this on Twitter. Check me out. <laughs> I went to a black restaurant today. You know, like I, that's just not who I am. But then at the same time, if I'm not posting that is my silence definitely. You know yes, I mean? It gets like, tricky. What, yeah. It totally what do gets I tricky do in that situation where I don't want to look like I'm just pandering. Like here I am with my black friends posting a picture or something. 
But then if I don't, does no one think I have black friends? You know what I mean? Yeah, no, it's tough because you want to strike a balance there and not come off as pandering because I, I absolutely hate that. But at the same time, it, it's interesting. Again, back to the idea of intentions, right? As long as the person posting that. So let's say that you did go on Twitter and say, what what, what place did you get, by the way? Wooden Hog? Um, it was in, yeah, Wooden Hog in Urbana. How yeah. good is that place? Oh, oh my it's fantastic. God, we're going to get some, I think, this weekend, actually. it's And oddly enough, that was the last thing that we got before the pandemic. It was the Saturday, the day before the Illinois-Iowa game. And we had heard about it over and over. I'm more of a Porgies guy, but as much as I love little Porgies for the nostalgia. And by the way, this is not a paid advertisement for Wooden Hog, but it's just, <laughs> it is objectively, wow. It's really good. And they, they you get a massive serving. Like next time I got to get the half because the full was like a dinner and a lunch and another dinner. Anywho. uh, Yeah. I think again, as long as the intentions are good. So let's say that you would have gotten that, you eat it, you enjoy it. You post a picture of this delicious barbecue goodness. And you say, this is where it gets tricky. How do you word it? Maybe something along the lines of, yeah. um, You know, I mean, the way you just said it, how, yeah, it's kind of what people have said to do, and I know it may not be much, but I I did want to support a local black business, and not only that, it it's was It's just amazing. not in my nature to I do get that, it. though. It's like, tough. I, it's I, it's, it's tough. not me to be the guy who's like, hey, today I went to Goodwill and donated some clothes. Hope that helps. Like, that's just not me. Yeah, I understand that. Um, and, and that's where... But I can't not say that now because I've been told <laughs> that, that silence that, that yeah. I mean, I, and look, I don't agree with this, but some people are saying, well, the people who are silent are just as bad as the cops murdering people. Now, I don't I mean, come on. No, me, no, they aren't. Me being me being neutral on Twitter. Now, to clarify, like I'm not neutral in my opinion on this, but me being neutral on Twitter is not as bad as someone killing someone. I mean, let's just be real. This is tricky, right? Because it goes back to that last dance episode where they talk about Jordan and the senator, the Senate race in North Carolina. And he said, Hey, I donated. And at the end of the day, that's still taking action, right? And actually putting money into that candidate's pockets and it didn't quite work out. People would still say, well, if you just sort of spoke on it, that would have been enough to maybe get that guy over the hump. And not only that, it's not like he was running against some Joe Schmo. He was running against a virulent racist, Jesse Holmes. So it is an argument that does not have a clean answer to it because, yeah, if he would have spoke out, that might have gotten the few thousand votes or whatever it would have taken to get Jesse Helms out of there into the voting box. But it it is something that... Um, depending what your workplace is, depending what your family situation is, like you don't inflame family relations before the next big cookout. Right. And I've thought about, I've thought about that, which I've, there's been some tense moments of family stuff, nothing, well, a couple of things that I I really wish I would have spoken out on, but uh, unfortunately in the moment, it's just not in my nature to do so. And back to this idea of being non-confrontational, it's like, oh, I don't want to step on anyone's foot. And at 33, and after this, talk about a straw that broke the camel's back, Trevor, but um, and being free from feeling like an employment thing or family thing would be threatened by this, I'm just like, screw it. I, you know, stick to sure. sports, my ass, it's just, whatever. I'm just going to say <laughs> what what's there, and... Not even someone who digs it is going to dig everything I say, but it's just eventually there is this liberating thing when I just realized, whatever, well, let's just go and uh, damn the torpedoes. Whatever happens, happens. Well, I think more people than ever are doing that. And whether that has something to do with, like you said, the fact that they're not employed anyways and they're staying at home so they feel like you know they have nothing to lose by going out and doing it. 
or whether they've just been so angered by this to the point now where it's just boiled over and they feel like they have to do it for whatever reason. I feel like more people than ever. And that makes a difference, right? Like I think it actually changes how, uh, how should I say it? How, how worried you should be that you might face uh, backlash from your employer or something about this. Right. If you are a part of such a large group that's doing it. I remember in, in high school, we used to say, you know, just as a joke, those rebellious high schoolers at Centennial, we'd say like, if one person just decided, I'm not coming to school for the rest of the year and just walked out, well, that kid would be suspended, you know, he this, that, and the other thing. But what if every single kid in the school did it? I mean, what are they going to do? Suspend the entire school? They can't. I thought about that very, that very scenario. And it's like, if every kid in the class turned against me, it's sort of like that old one would you rather question would you rather fight a duck-sized horse or or a hundred duck-sized horses right and i just imagine a bunch of sixth graders saying that's it mr carpenter and they rise up and open rebellion and try to take me out (laughs) it it wouldn't go well if there's 25 of them right what am i gonna do no you're right i mean it's like so so to that point i think that on, on the positive side here there are so many people speaking up about this so many people that, I mean, some people that I didn't like, wow, I didn't know that guy had such a strong opinion on this. Good for him. That, that I, I think there's less to fear in terms of like, you, you know, you're not the one guy sticking your neck out, I guess is what I mean. It's yeah. Everybody's sticking your neck out. It's really like nobody is. Exactly. I think that's the biggest effect of a Brad Underwood, for example, going there yesterday. Because right. all of a sudden, what? Is, it, is every Illini fan that likes Trump going to start, what, what, stop going to games? They're going to hate Brad Underwood no. now? Right on, I mean, just kind of first, a dude. First of all, have at it. Go ahead. I don't want to see you there anyways. But go ahead. <laughs> well, and with the Brad Underwood thing, just in terms of the kind of person he is, you know, it's so it's so easy to speculate what a person's thoughts or opinions may or may not be. And this is going to speak to my own biases and how this is totally unfair of me. I would not have necessarily ventured to guess that Brad Underwood would be the kind of guy that would go to a protest like that. Yeah, white guy from Kansas who's always been in the Midwest. Right, and and that's strictly coming from a place of white guy that grew up in a more kind of rural area in a rural state for sure, and that was me using a stereotype against what he actually did. And that's Mm -hmm. why yesterday I'm like, whoa, it was was twofold. One was, well, this is a, what, the highest paid employee in the state of Illinois, I think. Highest paid public employee. Uh, Yeah, yeah. And he has something to lose here. And he said, nah, it's okay. I'll speak up on it. Or at the very least, instead right. of like making some speech yesterday, he showed up. And in a way, that's almost more respectable to be like, I'm just here to be with all of you, you know? And, and to your idea that it is kind of destigmatizing speaking up on this now, it's a weird kind of place to be in where for years we've been told and we've experienced that, man, Twitter, it's just getting too polarized out there. Man, Facebook, it's getting getting crazy but at the same time you know i'm finding a lot of these discussions to be more civil than anything that was coming before it and it really also shines a light on how petty a lot of the squabbles and disagreements are on twitter and facebook in the first place that this kind of conversation seems to be somehow rising above that fray unless i'm just living in my own twitter bubble because i do mute people trevor um that it actually seems to so far have been a relatively constructive last week and a half in terms of discussion yeah. in the way that it was not before. I mean, I mute people too. Don't get me wrong, but it feels more and more like to your point, you're just muting the one out of 10 people who are never, ever, ever going to join the band on any of this. And the other nine out of 10 are being fairly civil and fairly in agreement with you. And that 
to me, that's kind of just a pleasant uh, turn in terms of what Twitter at least was like before this. Um, and, and, you know, Twitter is, people are saying it, it's, it's never been harder to look at Twitter. And I get that in the sense of, you know, if I'm just getting on there while I'm using the bathroom for five minutes, I don't want to see 10 videos of a cop beating someone to death. Right. Now, again, that's not me. You know, here's the backlash again. That, that's not me saying that I want to ignore that issue or turn a blind eye to it. I'm just saying that if I'm using Twitter to blow off steam for five minutes, that's not what I want to be seeing on it. But to your point, I feel like there's there's less, uh, I don't know if divide is the word, but there's less strong, I'm not even going to entertain this opinion. And those who are like that are just being ignored. Yeah, there is that. And here's something that I want to ask you, because I've kind of wrestled with this. I said something on the radio back three, four years ago, and I remember saying it and thinking, wait a second, don't get in, don't get too militant about this, right? So I said, usually I spoke in euphemistic language or avoided confrontation, but I said something like, um, to me, I think it's a positive step when intolerance becomes, uh, when intolerance is not tolerated, which sounds like a silly kind of poster or something. And then I, I also know that taken too far, that if your opinions or thoughts don't pass the purity test in some people's eyes, that you will be shunned or back to the idea we talked about cancel culture, right? That someone could be canceled for saying something that isn't, that doesn't 100% pass the purity test for whatever the conversation may be. I don't want it to get to that point, right? But I did have this thought, and you mentioned the that climate on Twitter, how it seems to be less uh, reactionary stuff if you post something in support of Black Lives Matter or these protests. You're getting less of a um, vitriolic response. I think that's a good thing. The question I guess I would have for you is, if the reason that's happening is because people that don't support this movement are being shamed, right? Or they feel like, oh, I don't want to speak up because I don't know. Into a corner, basically. Right, right. Is that okay? Because I don't necessarily want free speech to be stifled just simply for fear of, oh, if I say this, I'm going to get my ass, you know, eaten alive. I mean, not literally on Twitter. Um, <laughs> sorry um you know do you know what i mean that i don't want people to not speak out even if they have the wrong opinion or whatever a wrong opinion may be i don't want them to not speak out simply for fear of it but at the same sure. time i don't know if a little bit of shame for having an ass backwards idea is necessarily a bad thing either right no i, I was caught on that vivid image for a second there but no i i i, I, I yeah, agree my bad. with what you're saying <laughs> <laughs> i agree with what you're saying because if there are just as many people against this, which I can't imagine there are, but if there are just as many people against this as are for it, but they just aren't speaking up, it doesn't necessarily mean that the problem is any better. It just means that we've shamed them into silence for two weeks. I get what you're saying. But then at the same time, it's like, yeah, I kind of kind of want them to be shamed into, <laughs> into silence. So I, 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 I don't have a good answer for you. I guess I just fall in the middle of it, a little bit of shame. I, I'm okay with that. But at the same time, I don't want all nuance to be taken away to the point where we don't hear from these people. So we assume they don't exist. And then therefore we're just surprised when the election comes around or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because if you look back at 2016, I think a lot of that was a reaction to a lot of Trump voters felt as if they were the silent majority to borrow a term, I think from Ronald Reagan. I think that's when that term kind of originated politically. And I think that was a big thing. It was a reaction against, all right, we've been ignored for far too long and we're going to do right. this. And that was their movement, right? Um, now, I would argue that, unfortunately, that movement was also um, fueled in large part by 
well, let's say at least a decent percentage that have mm, that are bigots. Let's just, I mean, come on, let's just call it what it is. <laughs> Again, why am I trying to be euphemistic here when I don't need to be? Um, that there are right. there there is bigotry that exists within that campaign from 2016 that appalled a lot of people, um, but unfortunately was also attractive to others. And this right. is where I, I think about the last few years, Trevor, and it's so easy, especially as a white guy, to say, ah. I long for the days of, of Bill Clinton and and uh, uh-huh. even George W. Bush and Barack Obama. Man, things were so much simpler then. No, I was probably just ignoring them. But what did certainly change is the overall tenor of conversations. And I would say probably from when Obama got elected for different reasons. From 08 until now, it just feels as if there has been a – and people are much more easily agitated. I think of these discussions than they would have been pre 2008 and it only got inflamed in the last three and a half years to the point of exhaustion. And that's why I am encouraged and heartened to see that the exhaustion has not resulted in apathy. I thought it might've. No, it's the other way. It is. Pissed pissed people off more for whatever reason now. And and not for whatever reason, but, and uh, to your point, I mean, I'm not (laughs) trying to argue that the, the Trump presidency has been a good thing at all. But it, it, it's sort of like, you know, Trump's just been poking everybody with a stick for four years. And now at a certain point, it's like we just turn around and snap the stick and enough, you know, like it's just it's such a strong um, backlash that maybe if if people hadn't been prodded the way they had been metaphorically, we wouldn't be here. I don't know if that's true or not. I'm but, not sure either, but um, I, I do think that there were arguments from far left people in 2016 that, hey, you know, I'm not voting for Hillary. And then you might say, well, why not? I mean, you don't want Trump, right? And I think some of the notion was that, hey, even if things do get worse, maybe that will finally be what it takes to you know, stir some actual change because mm-hmm. Hillary would have been status quo in terms of you know, what you see is what you get. It's just kind of the same old, same old. And you know, when you're in those moments, you do get kind of lulled to sleep. And I think white people have probably been more guilty of that than anybody because it's pretty damn easy as a white guy living in Champaign-Urbana to get lulled to sleep about larger social and racial issues because I don't have to deal with them firsthand. So right. I'd rather just watch something on Netflix. And here's here's what I was thinking about. To the point of silence is complicity. Essentially, I was a silent sympathizer, if that makes sense, a silent empathizer. And I think what kind of flipped me a little bit on the silence is complicity thing is that didn't do anybody any good. So me just doing that and maybe occasionally having a conversation with a friend uh, that, you know, just to open some dialogue. Ultimately, that didn't accomplish anything. So for me, it's almost like, well, let's try a new approach. A little bit of this, a little bit of that, and actually trying to act in some sort of way um, and see how right. that goes. But I, I think that was what got me reflecting on that idea. Sure. I mean, it's like me saying, well, I've always supported uh, pandas that are going to go extinct. Well, it doesn't matter if they still go extinct <laughs> if you silently supported it, you know. Donate to the pandas that are going to die. Right. You know what I mean, yeah. like there's like me sitting here and saying, "Well, I've always been in support of, of of climate change." Well, if I don't do anything about it, it doesn't really matter whether or not I was personally in support of it. So I, I agree with your point where silence. I, I guess I wouldn't say it's complicity, but necessarily it doesn't actually help anything for me on my own in my room alone to say, "Yeah, I stand with this." Well, who cares? Like you got to go out and do something, and and I think. 
so many people have been swayed to do something that it actually is making a difference, which is encouraging, obviously. All right, last thing here, Trevor. Students do come back. I think tomorrow is the first day that football and men's basketball students are going to kind of stagger throughout the week. Did they clarify? Were they supposed to come back last week? They're, I'm confused by that. I was just going to ask you about that because on the 3rd was when they were supposed to, from the 3rd through the 8th. And I don't know if it was safety or security reasons after what happened last Sunday night in Champaign. Or just the general idea that, hey, there's a bigger thing going on now. Take your time getting here. But, yeah, so they will be coming back tomorrow. Well, tomorrow. It will be today for when people listen to this podcast on June 8th. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's weird, man. I feel, I feel that it's very difficult for me to hook my head back around sports in the moment. Are you having any of that issue? Oh, for sure. I, I, I personally, I told Lon this week, I said, I'm not even interested or excited about this NBA thing right now. And it's not like I won't be when it happens. Yeah. Right. But I mean, we were in the midst of so much when that came out and they said, it's officially coming back. I'm like, I can't even, I can't even deal with that right now. <laughs> Go sit in the other room for a minute. I'll be there in a few. Like, I can't even think about that right now. Um, just because it feels like this is such a, I don't know, an, an important moment that it just feels wrong to talk about anything else at this time. And it, it's not like I don't, it's not like I'm not excited for it. It's not like I'm not interested in the athletes coming back and whatever, but it just feels like right now that is not where my focus should be as just a person. And I'll certainly watch when it comes back and I'm excited and I'm glad the students are coming back. Well, not all the students, sorry, the athlete students uh, are coming back, but that's not you saying that just now is the first time I thought about it all week. (laughs) Yeah. And what doesn't help because I'm, a big baseball fan and the NBA is going to be, it's just going to be cool to have it on. I mean, just to have it on the TV and background during the day, even if I don't care about the matchup, it's just going to be sports. So that will be something, but we're not getting baseball. Yeah. And that, that to me is really, well, it's just sad. It really is. And it's something where, when it comes back next year, I mean, think about kind of the strikes against it. You had the Astros cheating scandal, which that would actually been a lot of fun this year, but instead we don't even get to live that out. And then when they do come back next year, it will be under the cloud of, wow, you guys really blew it. And I, you thought 94 was bad in terms of people not coming back right away. People don't want to hear this crap from Major League Baseball when you have record unemployment, you have a social movement going on and civil unrest. And I, I know who I side a little bit more with, obviously, would be the Players Union for a variety of reasons, political and otherwise. But damn there there's got to be something here like there has to be some hook and it just seems like there's no urgency on the part of tony clark and i guess manfred would be representing the owners there's no urgency when it's like guys if you wanted to actually get this thing going you got to start in a month so I, I i don't know it's it's very discouraging yeah I, i'm with the players in terms of like the bullet points of the argument but i'm, I'm also with you in the sense that it sort of um, it made me think about there's a Dr. Seuss book where the two people are standing in the road. And they just won't move. You know what I'm talking about? Have you read that one? It's I don't a know Dr. if I have. Seuss book. And it's like, you know, it's not thing one and thing two, but it's something like that. And they, they are walking on opposite sides of the road and they meet in the middle and they just both refuse to move to the left, to the right, to move around. They I vaguely remember that from elementary school. And so, and, yeah. and, the, and the comedy of the book is like it's nighttime and it's daytime and it's snowing and it's the fall. They just don't move. <laughs> and I feel like, yeah. you know, I'm not – I'm on the player's side here for the most part, but at the same time, it's like, guys, if neither side is willing to budge even 1%, like what are we doing here? You have to be able to 
to understand, like, read the room, I guess is my point. But given the context of everything that's going on right now, why do you need 99.5% of what you otherwise would have? Like, can't you just be like, all right, look, guys, this is insane. This is one season. The world is crazy right now. Let's just let's just fold on these three bullet points, say whatever to this, and we'll we'll be back on the field. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get I get from a leverage and negotiating standpoint. If they do that, that really sets a bad precedent when they have, I think, a bargaining thing coming up in what a year or two. Which good, yeah, good so luck with that. Twenty twenty two, there'd be the lockout. Which good luck with that. I mean, if this if this can't get figured out, and I understand the health and safety concerns, and that certainly adds a new wrinkle to it. But you're right; it is about reading the room. And it just seems like if each would make like two concessions apiece, whatever that may be. Right. And here's the thing, too, with the owners. They just need to realize that they're going to take a loss on it. And as Harry, I think, was talking about last week, this is not some sort of mom and pop operation. Most of these teams are owned by people. And it's just kind of like a it, that it's just a pet project for them. It's just kind of fun. And they might even lose a little bit of money on it each year anyways. But it just seems like. This is the most sports will ever become kind of a public service. In other words, it is never yeah. more, this is going to sound really cliche and ham-fisted, but never more needed than now, for sure. And I I just find the lack of urgency, given everything else going on in the world, to be the biggest misread of the room. That they're they're kind of treating this like any other negotiation negotiation session in terms of the pace and just the sort of very deliberate... You know, well, let's make the other side blink first. And it's like, guys, not now. Not now. There's too much right. other crap going on. Yeah, it's tone deaf. I mean, it's just it's not recognizing anything of the context of what's going on. And I know Ken Rosenthal said in an article this weekend that if there isn't a deal by next Friday, he doesn't think anything's going to happen, period. I this mean, Friday coming up? Where, yeah. So, I mean, we're at the point now where they need a month to get ready. And we can't bleed too far into the winter. And so, you know, the, the plan was maybe by sometime in July, but if, and he's not saying like a finalized deal, but he means just anything, like any type of general, okay, well, maybe we can work on this. Let's vote on this next, next week. Like if that doesn't happen by the end of this next coming week, he just doesn't think anything's going to happen. <sighs> that, that just stinks. And, you know, thank goodness football looks to be on pace to come back, even though out of all the sports, that seems to be the one with the most logistical challenges i guess it does i just don't i mean iowa has said they're going to have full capacity texas stadium you're saying it, <laughs> and i just don't understand uh, where that's coming from wait but, iowa iowa said full capacity yeah the hawkeyes isn't that what they said unless well I, I, I can look it up i know iowa state came out with the whole twenty thousand the stadium thing or maybe 30 iowa talked about that they hope to have tailgating and and fans in the stands i don't know if they specified full capacity or not what was the other school you said uh, well, the Texas stadiums were saying that um, they're going to let, if there's a baseball season, they're going to let the Rangers and Astros have full capacity. I did see that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it said Iowa AD Gary Barta says the goal is a full Kinnick Stadium this fall. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, that could be the goal, but. <laughs> now, here's the thing. People would say, well, hey, you guys have been talking about protests, and clearly that's not really social distancing. They would have a point, but. At least in Champaign-Urbana, I haven't seen a protest of 60,000 people. There are in the larger cities. We're seeing Philly, New York, L.A., D.C. especially. We're talking tens of thousands of people. And granted, by the fall, we might see, well, wait a second. It didn't really have that big of an effect. But also keep in mind, it is the summer. I know we, we laughed at Trump when he talked about UV light. But the, actually, UV light, I guess it was more the bleach thing. UV light actually does help kill this thing, or really any virus. And the heat and humidity doesn't hurt either. So 
all these things that we see now, even if there's a lack of an impact on protesters gathering in large groups, that may be null and void when it's early October and you get your first cold streak of the year and Iowa's 40 degrees for an early fall game against so-and-so. So I, whatever, you know, let Iowa yeah, try it I out mean, first. Well, sure. In the interest of, you know, being nuanced and trying to be on, 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 you know, recognize both sides of it. There really is no logical reason why it's okay to protest, but not okay to have your small business open. Yeah, I mean, if we're talking isn't. mass gatherings, yeah. I mean, you can argue all you want, and you'd be right that the protests are for something more important, but then you open up this giant can of worms of, well, wait a minute, isn't my small business important? Or, well, what if I feel just as strongly about going to church as I do about going to a protest? Why can't I do that? So yeah, there is no real reason why protesting would be safe but something else wouldn't be right now. Yeah, that that is something where it'd be disingenuous to pretend that, well, this one's okay and this one's not. I mean, that would get, as you said, into this whole can of worms thing, and then it's just an impossible discussion. Um, Trevor, have a good week. It is Sunday as we're recording this, and unfortunately, by the time we meet next Sunday, probably not going to be a lot going on in the world of sports, though I wouldn't be surprised if we do hear more from Levy Smith this week if students are, in fact, coming back. And really from the DIA in general, because I know Josh Whitman kind of hinted that they are not done yet in terms of acting and, and getting involved. So we'll we'll keep an eye on that. But in the meantime, uh, anything you're watching, TV shows, movies within the last week? I'm trying to wrap up Ozark. Okay. Because um, I, well, what was funny about that was I, I, I hopped on that trend, if you will, before many people even knew what it was. And I watched season one right when it came out. And I thought, wow, this is a pretty good show. Yeah. And then I watched season two right when it came out. And then I sort of just had other things happen, you know, lots going on. And so I let season three fall by the wayside while everyone else, you know, binges one and two to catch up and watch three. Have you seen it? Season one. And I liked it, but I didn't love it. It didn't hook me. I loved it at the beginning, especially the pilot. I thought, wow, this is a just tremendous pilot show. Was strong. The guy falling out the window and all. Oh, that. yeah. Like, Holy crap. It, it fizzled a little bit mid-season one. I thought the the final scene of season one was this overly dramatic, operatic song underneath it as they have this long collage, and it takes eight minutes, and it just didn't pack the punch that I was kind of hoping it would. So we've taken a break from that. We're going back over Breaking Bad, which is phenomenal. Well, that's my other thing is I, got, I want to start Better Call Saul because I've seen Breaking Bad all the way through almost twice now but I haven't even started Better Call Saul. And then you'll love it. And I would, would say for Better Call Saul, just understand it's sort of like a less action-packed Breaking Bad, but what sets it apart, even from Breaking Bad, is from the outset, the visuals are incredible, uh, the characters and the dialogue are, are tremendous. So just imagine a less kinetic version of Breaking Bad. It's still in that universe. And that's fine with me. I love Bob Odenkirk. I love all the secondary stuff, like you said, the set, the visuals and all that. So I, that doesn't bother me. Have you watched Boogie Nights yet? No, I have not. Okay, well, it's make sure that's it. Okay. I have not watched it. Yet. All right, well, you'll enjoy it for many, many reasons. You'll enjoy it, but most of which <laughs> it's just an awesome movie. All right, Trevor, we'll talk next week. All right. All right. All right. See you. All right. That, of course, Trevor Valise here in the 200 level. Before we go, a reminder that the 200 level is brought to you by DP Doe online at dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices, and they deliver anywhere in Champaign Urbana dpdo.com also fourth and kirby it's hot i don't know if you've noticed it's actually like 92 degrees and humid today you need t-shirts and fortunately fourth and kirby has plenty of those vintage inspired alani apparel at fourth and kirby.com coupon code 200 level 
for 10% off your order at fourthandkirby.com. And finally, State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. Life, auto, home, business, renters, insurance, you name the type of insurance, they got it. And not only that, but they're all local residents, born and raised Champaign-Urbana. They have your local interest at heart. brianismyguy.com. Alana Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network partners with the 200 level. I about said the relaunch, but you know, when you're 60 episodes deep into the relaunch. I don't know if we need to use that anymore. We will be back on Thursday. Uh, I'm really excited for this. On Wednesday, I'll be speaking with Kerry Davis about what's going on. He is vocal with it, and I really always appreciated the times that Kerry would hop on TNJ, Tan Carp, College Game Day Live. He actually did the weekly hit with Brightweiser and myself, I think for a year or two. And not just a great guy, but also one that is very thoughtful about these sorts of things. And I want to give him the platform and let him speak, let him go, because not only is he one of the nicer guys I've met in my time doing radio or podcasting, but also one of the most interesting. So we'll get Kerry Davis on. That will be published on Thursday. We're working on more guests, having fun, kind of branching out, and hope you're having fun listening to it as we try a few new things. So have a great week. We'll see you in a few days. It is the 200 level. 